necessarily his dream. So she surrendered it to the Lord. And they had four of their own children. I'm the youngest of their four biological children. And then when I was about three years old, actually I was probably maybe two, my dad came to my mom. He said, it's time to adopt. Won't God do it, guys? Won't God do it? Literally, God placed that dream in my dad's heart. Like, no other explanation. And um, so my, my dad came to mom, and they started going through the process of foster care to adopt. And as they went through this process, um, they received this boy. <laughs> oh, I love him. He's my brother. His name is Pierre. But I was three years old when I remember seeing this little boy come in a car seat. And you know, as a three-year-old, my parents might have tried to explain it to me. My mom said that she explained it to my older siblings that they, you know, a boy was coming to our house. But it happens so fast when you get a call, you just go pick him up at the hospital and you're in your home before you know it. As a three-year-old, I remember looking down and just feeling this strange feeling. You know, a, typically a child has about nine months to be able to process this with their parents. You know, they get to see the, 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 the um, stomach, they get to see the baby inside their mother's belly. But all of a sudden, there's just this child in front of me, and I'm like, what is he doing here? I'm the youngest. Like, no! You know? And obviously, I was so young, like, all these emotions I was feeling but didn't fully comprehend. And guys, my brother Pierre, he was adopted two years later. He came home at three days old. And he's 18 now. <laughs> he's my little pal. Call him Peter Pan, and I should miss him a lot. <laughs> but then, about, I guess it's probably like 12 years ago, my mom just started talking about adoption again. <laughs> And she just loves raising children. She loves children so much. So she started talking about it. She would not stop talking about it. So she was, we were talking about it in um, my kitchen with, it was just me and some of the older siblings. And I was probably in middle school at this time. And she was talking about adopting. And, and then all of a sudden, like, a siblings, my, my parents' kids, obviously, <laughs> Um, we were just like, yeah, let's do it. Let's adopt again. And I'll never forget my dad comes from the living room into the kitchen. He's like, well, honey, if they want to do it, let's do it again. <laughs> so my parents go through the, the process all over again of a foster to adoption. It's, you have to get your house ready, you have to get approved, go through classes and everything. And um, they start that process maybe about a year and a half in. Um, I came home from middle school, I think it was, I think it was in eighth grade. And I remember this year and a half old boy was pushing his stroller around our kitchen table. And when I came home, I tried talking to him. But at that point, he was probably, I don't know, maybe it was his fifth home, so he was just coping. So he wouldn't respond to me because I was just a stranger to him. And it's, it is so funny for me to like, you're in my home, why aren't you talking to me? Like, who is this? You know, it's just, just the, the, the um, emotions of all that, that goes into this beautiful process. Then I walked over to my living room, and there's a six-month-old 
smile on his face, face filled with joy. And you have this thought, you're like, oh my word, they can be my brothers. <laughs> like, what does this even mean? You know, and with foster care, it's not promised because the goal is ultimately for them to be reunified to their birth parents. But <laughs> about two years later, their parents' rights got terminated and the adoption process started. And during that process, we found out that their mom was pregnant. And they just asked me to take him. And my mom was like, of course. My family was like, of course. My dad, you know, all of them. You don't want to, like, their siblings to be split up. And then um, he was adopted about two years later as well. And the same thing happened to them. We found out that was pregnant. So I have four brothers that are biological siblings. And I have five brothers that are adopted. And then we also have, um, I have a sister that we consider our own. She's my adopted brother's biological sister that we just have called our own. She's um, 21. She just spent holidays with us. She's incredible. But I just wanted to bring you into this storyline for multiple reasons. Because it speaks of Jesus. It comes to the cost, guys. Adoption comes with a cost, but it's so worth it. And I can guarantee you that they will teach you more than you that you than you will ever teach them. And I think sometimes in the Christian life it can be easy to make excuses or it can be easy just to do what is culturally Christian Christian culturally acceptable. And it can sometimes be easier to just be like, oh, like, I have other responsibilities. But I just felt the invitation of the Holy Spirit that he wants to mark women in this room to adopt. You see, James 1.7 says that the only pure and undefiled religion, the only pure and undefiled religion is to look after the orphan and the widow. That means any other form of religion isn't actually pure. That's what the Bible says. Any other form of religion is defiled. The only pure and undefiled religion is to look after the orphan and the widow. Guys, it's not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion to look after command. And I just believe that if your heart is racing, <laughs> if this is a dream that has laid on the sidelines for far too long, it's not too late. It's never too late. And I believe even if you're 12 years old that the Lord might be marking you. Might be marking you to adopt one day. Guys, there are children. Let's just get real quick. There are children that don't have homes, that don't know the definition of love, and they're in the hands of our government, not a family, not a place to know the gospel, the greatest form of love. So Jesus, I just say thank you for every single one of these women in this room. Holy Spirit, we invite you, we love your presence.
to give the orphan to home. So, Lord, for the women that have an empty room in their house, for women, Lord Jesus, that maybe have raised their children, their older children, they're off in college, God. For the women, Lord Jesus, maybe that are 12, and God just wants to come and say that one day I will call him to bring in a child and love them. Holy Spirit, we just say, come and have your way. Mark our hearts, Jesus. In your name, amen. And guys, it's, it's wild. It comes to the cost, you know. It, it, it's, it's a fearless act. And I, I believe that God wants to unmuzzle us of any ways that we have been silent, any ways that we've allowed fear to silence us. You see, we have to let love move us. We can't afford any other way. We have to let love be the greater burden. Let love outweigh our fear. I mean, the Bible says that love literally casts out fear. So if you feel like you're struggling with fear of preaching the gospel, maybe struggling with fear of of telling your friend, hey, actually, that relationship is toxic. Come, can I show you a better way? Maybe you're struggling with fear of, of knowing how to step out in a, in a bold act of pursuing your God-given, the God-given call in your life. Get in his presence. Because he is love. And fear can't stay where he is. And it comes by knowing love, knowing the man Jesus, that we get set free of fear. You see, we become what we see. We become what we behold. Have you beheld God recently? Have you gone into the secret place and been with Jesus recently? Because if not, and you have problems, and you're fearful, and you're anxious, just get his presence. Just get his presence. Did you know that you can embody a love that burns to take action? See, this love, it can't be shut up. It can't be silenced. Because Jesus is burning for the lost. He's burning for the lost. What is your role in the Great Commission? I want you guys to ask, I want us all to ask ourselves that tonight. What is our role in the Great Commission? To see every tribe, every nation, every tongue come and know Jesus Christ, the greatest lover that ever walked the earth. Because as women, the Great Commission is our mission. You see, this love that I'm talking about is from God. And we have the opportunity of a lifetime, of a lifetime to partner with him by getting his heart and his eyes from the world. I want to take you guys into a scenario. And see, it's wild how over time we can get so acquainted with the surroundings that are all around us that it can feel foolish to dream about the greater reality in heaven. Do you guys catch that? It can literally be so easy just to do the normal thing, to do what's seen around us, to not dream of what God's dreaming of, to not step into a place of faith and believe that God can change the situation. 
tend to sometimes, when, when it's hard to contend and find this place, of like, oh, God, I'm not seeing you change the situation that I'm in. Or actually, God, faith is too hard today. It can sometimes be easier, if I'm being honest, to step off the cord of faith. And to take a break. But you see, the dangerous thing about that is we get so comfortable in the sidelines that jumping into faith again feels like a different and foreign world. You see, the search, what we're doing when we're on the sidelines, on the sidelines we're searching for a comfortability that's found in the world. But it's a lie. And you see, we're looking for this comfortability from, from our anxiety. We're looking for a, a place of refuge from our anxiety, from our doubt. Or maybe it's our self-hatred. And we just want it to be silent. And we're thinking that maybe if we stop fighting, or maybe if we stop operating in a place of faith, then the enemy won't actually be fighting anymore. You see, sometimes we don't even know how to silence this voice or these feelings. Or maybe it's a fear that we don't have what it takes to bring about God's redemption and be an agent of change. Tonight, ladies, I want every single one of you women to leave this room knowing the power that lives inside of you. His name is the Holy Spirit. And if you are hopeless tonight, I believe that God wants to restore every ounce of hope. He wants to fill us with faith tonight. Because the Holy Spirit is in us, not in our own strength, not because of who we are, but because of Jesus. You see, Mark Twain once said that the most, in, the most two important days in your life is the day you were born and the day you found out why. The two most important days of your life is the day that you were born and the day you found out why. Can I say that it wasn't the day that you got married? Can I say that it wasn't the day when you had your first child, which is beautiful? It's literally the day that you found out who you are. Why is that powerful? Because when you know that you're the father's daughter, you get fierce. You get serious. Because you know the authority inside of you. You know that when you walk into the grocery store, that means that someone's destiny could be that means that literally a dark, dead soul that is on its way to be eternally separated from Jesus can come alive today. Do you believe that power lives inside of you? Because I do, but more importantly, he does. You see, I came from the other side of the country, which is such an honor, but I came to tell you that Jesus has a plan and a purpose for your life. Do you believe that tonight? And this plan and purpose is far from being a victim. I know that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to tell you that when you're activated as a woman in the original design in which God created you, things begin to change all around you. I travel to you because we are going to break the inhibitors that keep us from entering into who God has called us to be. And God has designed you to be a catalyst. And I'm going to share a little bit more about what that is. But before I do, I want to take us into the story of Deborah. Raise your hand if you know who Deborah is in the Bible. Yeah, 
The leader of the army was named Sisera, which would be important as the story unfolds. You see, being under the rolling of their enemies, of Israel's enemies, got so bad that in Judges 5, 7, it says, village life had ceased. It was scarce for people to come out of their homes. What it means for village life to cease is literally people were not coming out. People were literally scared to come out of their home. Like, public life became dangerous. That's how bad it was. Women were being abused. Children were being taken advantage. It was, it was de a desperate hour, God. And if we look around our culture, we are in strictly similar circumstances. In a way, village life has ceased in America. People are crippled by fear, and there's a need for deliverance. Yes. And Jesus is the only one that holds the keys. Like Israel, we are in an urgent hour for the need of solution. Yes. And this is where it gets exciting. All right, preach on <laughs> I like you. I like you. <laughs> Judges 5 8 tells us that not only was Israel oppressed by Japan's army, but all their She didn't go running to her friends for their thoughts and their confirmation, their approval. 
And you see, what we have to wake ourselves up to is the reality of the oppression around us. Do you hear me, ladies? We have to wake ourselves up to the oppression around us. It can be so easy to become numb. And in the Brave Love Manual, there's a teaching that's called the, the Easily Affected Heart. And guys, this teaching has changed my life. Because being easily affected by God's heart is so key. When we step into this place of literally allowing our hearts to be tender, to be feeling what other people are feeling, guys, it's, what, it's literally the DNA of a woman. Yes. It's to feel the things, what, what others are feeling. Maybe that's even literally in, like when you have a child in your womb, in your belly, you're feeling your child care. Maybe it's literally your mom is going through a hard time and you're feeling her emotion even when you're not in the same we as women were feelers, and it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I believe that God wants to mark us tonight yes. with an easily affected heart. Yes. An easily affected heart that literally feels the oppression that this city is in. Yeah. Because when we're feeling the darkness and we're seeing the darkness, when we're aware of it, it allows us to get on our knees and ask Jesus for a solution. Yes. And it might even feel overwhelming at times, because you're like, oh wow, God, I can't do I can't bring solution. I don't know where to start. Yes. But it's my God. That's my God. He knows where to start. Yes. It starts with a simple obedience, ladies. Yes. Simple obedience changes history. Do you believe yes. that? Do you believe that? Simple obedience changes history. Simple obedience to, to Jesus. Yes. You and him. Him and you. Together. You wake up every morning and say, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? Yes, Lord. Jesus, I'm going to work. How can I love someone? Yes. Jesus, okay, I'm listening to you. My ears are open. Woo. What do you want me to do today? Yes. Simple obedience, guys. It's the love language of God. It ministers to his heart. He loves our obedience because it means that we trust him. Yes. So as the story unfolds, Deborah calls Barak the general of Israel. So he's the general of the army of Israel. You see, I want to reiterate that this army has no weapons, and their culture has been shaped and crippled by fear. Yes. Yet Deborah doesn't submit to her current external circumstances. Instead, she sees the heaven reality that God spoke. He said, quote, Go! This is the day that the Lord has given Sisera into your hands! Yes. Yes. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? Guys, God's saying that over your situation. Yes. He's saying, go! Trust me! I'm your defender! I have your victory! Just go! So Barak went with 10,000 men to defeat Sisera and his evil army. You see, God divinely intervened by routing Sisera's chariots by the sword. And what he means is to live by his divine hand. He rerouted them. And it caused them to flee. Yes. Sisera's army literally fled. And Barak's army, Israel's army, completed the God mission. Yes. Can I get an amen? Yes. Can I get a hallelujah? hallelujah? Guys, that means literally oppression. There was breakthrough in oppression. Yes. He did it in Deborah's day, and I believe that he's not, he's, he hasn't left that business. I know that's right. He hasn't left that business. Yes. 
they win, but God made every single one of their enemies fall. Yes. Guys, it was finished on the cross. Yeah. Guys, we've already been given our reward. Our reward is Jesus. Our reward is Jesus. Intimacy with him. Yes. It's finished. Our enemies lose. We get to tell our enemies where to go. That's right. We get to tell our enemies where to go. Fear to fear. I know you're a demon. Flee in the name of Jesus. And then you go and you take action in the opposite spirit. You see, God wants to do the same for us today that he did for Deborah. So I'm just going to um, touch on what a catalyst is. And then I'm going to hand the mic to Genesis. But a catalyst, you see, Deborah was a catalyst. If you guys know anything about science, a catalyst, literally when it enters into a science experiment, it accelerates the process. It speeds the process up. Yes. So that means that without a catalyst, the process is slower. And Deborah was a catalyst in her day. And you can be a catalyst in your day. You see, when we enter into situations, we speed up the process. We bring solution. Yes. We bring finished work. Like Deborah, we are women that enter into situations that need godly solution. And we bring about heaven's reality through simply obeying God's obedience and believing in the words that he says. The cool thing is is that even our belief is a gift from God. Yes. Oh, it's so good. Yes, hallelujah. Amen. A catalyst walks in close relationship with God. Listens and immediately obeys his words of commissioning to go. Yes. A catalyst speaks with faith and says what is possible with God. Yes. She doesn't doubt. Yes. She doesn't live in unbelief. Yes. And a catalyst is willing to speak, to act, and to go in order that the need around them will be met. Genesis, you can come up here. In simplicity, a catalyst is someone with a surrendered yes to Jesus. And is ready to follow and do whatever he asks at all costs. Yes, thank you. At all costs. Y'all hear that? Woo! I was telling you that's right as you were sitting down. I'm like, there's a roar in here. Like, there's a roar in here. And I feel like you guys are just ready to fight. So look at your neighbor and say, get ready. You're 11, look at that, amazing. You could be 11, 
You can be 20, you can be 21, 14, I don't care what age. I just know that God, hey, come on, come on. Go to the 60s, 70s, but all I know is this. Each and every one of you in here carries a seed, carries such a distinct solution that the enemy wants to rip away from you. And there's this woman, like one of the very women that once inspires me, and she said this thing, and she's like, you know, I have this suspicion within me that I was born for something great. And not only do I have this deep suspicion within me, but I have this big belief and have no doubt in me that each and every one of you in here has been born for greatness. But let me be honest with y'all. It's not going to intimidate the enemy that that you don't know what that purpose is. Because that's, right. that's what she wants you to think. He's going to be like, oh, she doesn't know what she was born for, huh? When Desiree mentioned that quote that the two most important days in your life is the day that you were born, the day you find out why, the enemy's waiting for you to be cycling. Was I really born for that? Is that really what God made me to do? You did it to Eve. Why wouldn't he do it to you? If we continue to tolerate and give the enemy the foothold, then you may be wanting a visual for this. I'm going to give you a visual. See, when you, let's say I'm trying to get out of that door, and, and I put my foot in front of the door, is the door going to close? No, because my foot's in front of it. You see, when we allow the enemy to keep us in these cycles continuously of, I don't know if I was made for greatness. I don't know if I'm up to the plan. I don't know if I have solution in me. You're literally giving him the foothold, that little crack in the door to get in your mind, to take your heart with doubt and fear and say, you won't amount to anything. But I serve a God that says that he created you for purpose. That I don't care what generation or what line you come from, what age you are, there is greatness within you. And I'd be lying to you, doing a you disservice if, if I told you, yeah, you know, I was always, I knew I was born for greatness, duh. Uh, no. The reality is that we all have crossed these things that Desiree mentioned, and those are inhibitors. And honestly, anything, if you're thinking like, man, like, what's an inhibitor? I'm going to give you a definition for it. An inhibitor is anything that's keeping you from taking action. If there's a seed and a solution that God has placed within you, the enemy will like, place this inhibitor before you and say, you know what? Try this. Let's see if you're going to still get to the solution. Because right. he's a mocker and he will mock you. Yes. But I want to put a paint a picture to you guys because you probably guys are looking at me like, oh my gosh, like this girl is like out here speaking truth or whatever. But I didn't always know this or believe this. You see, I, when I was eight years old, um, my dad actually took off. So it was just my mom and I. And my mom and I were left in, like, this is in, like, in New York, and I was born and raised there. And my mom and I were actually left in an evicted apartment, which means we were actually left homeless, right? And so I'm over here thinking, well, God created me for good plans, and he has good things in store for me, but this don't look nothing like it. See, because the inhibitors will be presented right before you, and there's nothing that you can do about it. So in that moment, I'm not only homeless, but I'm also depressed. I'm also trying to become independent as a nine-year-old because my mom wasn't cognitively there to understand my daughter needs me. So now not only like my mom is neglecting me, but my father's not even in the picture. And then I have to bring myself to reason God is good. You see, before I believe. 
believe that I was born for greatness, I had to face him and realize, man, these are real things. But I know that I serve a God that works all things together for good. And my hope for you guys tonight is not that you walk out through these doors and with the hype message of, I was born for greatness and I carry solution. But I want you to walk out those doors and say, I've been freed. I have given myself a time to recognize that there is a breakthrough. And not just for myself, but there are women that need to know that these inhibitors do not have the final say over their lives. That when you walk out these doors, you realize, wait a minute, I know how to walk in freedom. It is my time to rise as a woman. It is my time to rise as a mother. Some of you in here are talking about, like, I'm not a mother. Great, me either. But it doesn't take for you to have a child to be, be a mother. You see, literally Deborah in the Bible never mentioned that Deborah had kids. But she rose herself as a mother. And she said, you know what, I'm going to adopt this nation. I'm going to take up a responsibility that I never was given in the natural, but in the spiritual, with my God and Holy Spirit, I can do a lot. Yes. So, why do we talk about inhibitors? We don't want these cycles to repeat. You see, we talk about like, hey, we want you guys to have the courage to act and the courage to speak. And we get so caught up in the speaking card, because I could get on here all the day and talk about speak, speak, speak. But what about the action part? What about the doing? Yes. I can say all these things, but my actions will show more. So if my friends literally have to like try to like discover my love language, you know, when we start those friendships. Oh my gosh, we're besties forever. <laughs> and in the beginning, you know, because of my past and my work with my family, I would always tell them, like, yo, if you don't show me you love me, I don't think I don't think you love me. So how does my love language of acts of service look like? It's like, if I like things to be neat, don't leave the bed unfolded. Okay? How many moms in here can agree with their kids? Okay? How many, how many husbands come, you come home, and your house is all clean, and things are cooked, and you're out here asking, like, what you want from me? But that's, that's the kind of love that Jesus had. He took action. And what did his action look like? It literally looked like him laying down his life and saying, I'm going to pay your price. I'm going to pay your debt. And my cross will be enough for it. But we can talk about Deborah's bravery all day because it's amazing, right? She's a brave woman. She arose as a mother and all these great things. But I would do you a disservice if I didn't tell you that every catalyst, everybody say every catalyst. Every catalyst faces an inhibitor. And I'm going to repeat that. Any inhibitors, anything keeping you from taking action. So there's two different types of inhibitors. There's the internal ones where you're like, I think I was made for it. So that's your insecurity. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've been in. That's your shame and condemnation. The Lord doesn't call you to live in. And then you have fear, which is, hello, everyone has that. How many of you guys can say I've encountered fear in my life? Okay, we all need deliverance. Amen. <laughs> and then you have external factors, which are things that are inevitable that you can't control. So in my case, my inhibitor was like, I literally was homeless. I literally didn't have a father to say, I approve of you. I delight in you. I'm proud of you. And I don't know if any of you maybe kind of experienced the same thing, but I just want you to know right now that your heavenly father smiles over you with such pure delight 
with you just being daughter and doing nothing. So my behavior was I didn't even have the approval of my father. So why was I geared to do great things? See, when Des mentioned earlier that Deborah didn't have anyone giving her affirmation and championing her, that's going to happen. You're not going to have people applauding you all the time saying, great job. That was amazing. Because if so, then maybe we need to posture ourselves and ask ourselves, what are we doing it for? What is the heart? What's the intent? And when we pray these prayers of God, align my heart with your heart. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Align me, like make me come in contact with your burdens. Can I have an easy, affected heart that things that hurt you hurt me? That's the cost. Now when you encounter this brokenness, it's not because he wants you to be like, I want you to be broken. But he's like, you want to partner with me? You really want to walk with me in this? You want me to teach you how to do this? But these inhibitors can be things that the Lord is like, all right. Again, these are internal, external. They're, they're hard for you to figure out, like, which one you pick and choose. But God says, again, I work all things in the pattern for good. So we can either be women that make room for God to literally work through these inhibitors and say, God, I'm going to partner with you and get rid of them. As Desiree was saying, you literally have the power to literally say, fear, flee. Yes. Yes. You don't have to go through this long tangent of five-hour prayer saying, God, I just want, I'm not mimicking anybody, just so you know. But sometimes we get it twisted. Sometimes we're like, oh my gosh, I have to go into my prayer closet for like five hours to like this thing to disappear. Matthew literally says that all authority in heaven has been given to you. That means with literally just two words. Fear, flee, and it's done. Because if that were the case, and Jesus literally dying on the cross and him saying it is finished, what was that for? He said it is finished. There's nothing to add. There's nothing to take away. If we wait for the perfect moment, like Des was also mentioning earlier, we won't get to the breakthrough moment. Yes. And what do I mean by that? Genesis, says, you don't understand my schedule. I have so much to do. Like, I'm still trying to get here and I'm still over here. But if we wait for the perfect moment for everything to line up in the ducks that you want them to, you're not going to get to the breakthrough moment. And can I be honest with you guys? Sometimes I would literally try to do that. I'd be like, God, you know, whenever I'm not coming to you with a broken spirit, whenever I'm not coming to you, because I feel like every time there's a time in my life um, that I would literally come to the Lord with just like weeping, but like for like personal things. And I felt like I, I wasn't trusting him enough to like deal with things in my heart. And literally the Lord had to literally check me in that and say like, Genesis, do you realize that I'm not longing for a perfect sacrifice from you? But a broken and contrite heart and a broken spirit, I'm not going to reject. I'm going to take it and say, let's work with this. Because that's the Father's heart for you guys tonight. So when we talk about freedom and these inhibitors, it's because they're real. But they're not as real as the love that he has for you to say, we got to get rid of that. Everybody say action. We're going to take action tonight. You're walking out these doors differently, let me tell you. 
And not only do I believe that, but the Lord wants you to walk in that. And maybe you're still like, we're halfway through the night, like, okay, let me not scare you, we're almost done here. But maybe you're like, oh my gosh, like, what are we going to do? It's going to get weird. You're only going to get much out of this the most you put into it. If you posture yourself in such a way of saying, you know what? I don't even want it just to be another woman's I, I can't. I don't remember who asked me tonight who was like, can you tell me what we're doing tonight? And I'm like, you just find out. <laughs> and I just love that because the Lord, as a father, he loves to surprise us. And I just feel like he's going to surprise you tonight. We're just showing you the kind of bravery and the courage that you have within you. Whether you're young or you're middle-aged or you're like, oh my gosh, I'm in my 60s. God's going to be like, do you realize that when I made you, I created you fearfully and wonderfully? Yeah. And maybe you have this frame in your room that maybe your mom got you. Maybe some of you in here are like, oh my gosh, I've seen that frame. It's cute. But let me tell you, it's not cute. It's powerful scripture. Because when it says he fearfully and wonderfully made you, God literally looked at you and said, you, I created you for more. When I fearfully and wonderfully made you, I created you for greatness. I don't care where you came from. I don't care what lineage your family has had a reputation of. God said, I created you for more. Yes. Yes. yes, amen. You better say that. But let me tell you about someone I put into perspective. A woman, I'm gonna talk, I could have talked to you, but I because of time, I just wanna keep it to one. There was this woman named Harriet Tubman. Everybody say, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And this woman, Harriet Tubman, I remember learning about her when I was in school, and I was so inspired by this woman. I mean, she was like literally a boss woman. And the crazy thing, if you guys heard, um, this woman here in Tubman, she was uh, like, she was a leader that literally led out with such courage at a time that in America there was like such like deep, deep slavery. It was like dark. I mean, if you want to talk about dark, look that up. And this woman arose with such a courage that when she realized like she walked in freedom, like she received freedom. So she was like originally like from a certain side of the country, and then she had to go to the opposite side of the country, but here's the crazy part. She got free, so of course, it's like, you are literally a slave, and then you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm free, like, amen, hallelujah. But here's the crazy thing that I love about Harriet. That she had this inhibitor, and I'm gonna say the inhibitor is death, because she literally had fear. Oh my gosh, what did they catch me freeing other people? She had the inhibitor of literal death. But the great thing about Harriet is not that she was, you know, she freed people or whatever. No. It was that Harriet realized, wait, I'm free. I tasted freedom. I know what freedom is. I need them to know. Amen. You see, she was not okay with just knowing I'm free. I'm liberated. But she's like, they need to know what this is like. Have you encountered such freedom with Jesus? Have you encountered such love with the Lord that you're like, I can't keep it to myself? I need them to know that there's healing for their brokenness, that there's purpose to their pain, that there's so much more that the Lord wants to do from them. But that's not going to happen if we're not stirred to action. We can talk about it all night, y'all, but nothing is going to do it if we don't do something about it. So we're going to go into action. Everybody say action. action. We're going to go into action because Jesus literally put his life on the line. It cost him everything to save the lost and the broken. And so I just we're going to transition to this time of repentance. And y'all go, ooh. I don't know about you.
you guys, but I grew up thinking repentance was like a, like my grandma grew up Catholic. She's Catholic, I grew up Christian, so <clears throat> figure out that dynamic. And she would talk about repentance, and it would be like, you know, you go to this man and you tell him all your sins. And I was like, so you're telling I was that kid, and I would question everything. And I'm like, so you're telling me I'm gonna tell my sin to another man who's basically sitting the same thing. Okay, cool. But thank God that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and I don't have to go back into those cycles of my shame and condemnation. And that I can literally go to him and repent in joy. I don't want to rephrase that whole thing because we think of repentance like, oh my gosh, and what is me? I sinned. Yes, surprise, we're sinners. But there's this joy that's attached to repentance. And in our community as circuit writers, we approach this thing, repentance, and you're probably like, can you put it into perspective? Amazing, I'm so glad you asked. Okay, so repentance is literally like you are turning towards the Lord. So this is this is your sin, right? You can choose it because like one of my friends like kind of describes sin to be like pleasurable. So like if you want to do things you shouldn't be doing, you're like, oh my gosh, that's good. That that tastes good. That that feels good, right? But repentance is literally saying, no, I'm turning away from it and I'm walking towards God. I'm saying, God, I choose you over my sin. I choose you over my pleasure. And so when we do this thing of repentance, we're not saying, oh my gosh, like, woe is me, I did this. We're doing this continually. So the things that I want to like, teach you guys tonight, this is a tool. Everybody say tool. This is a tool that we want you guys to walk out with. Because, like, we don't want it to be, like, weird. We don't want to be like, oh my gosh, they're, like, literally chanting, like, this is a cult, I'm going to go. No, this is literally true repentance, and we get to do it in joy. And we get to encounter freedom. We're going to say amen. Amen. All right. So basically, we do we go through repentance, and it's called the four R's. And basically, what that is, is literally the four R's, the letter R. The first thing we do is repent. Remember, we said repent. We're turning away from our sin. We repent. We're saying, God, no longer am I partnering with that thing. The second thing is we receive his forgiveness. Because here's the thing, if you wallow up so much in the sin and the wrong things you do, then you're like, oh my gosh, I feel so bad. And God's like, honey, what did I speak over you? As a father that he is. So you receive his forgiveness. Third, with the authority that you have, you get to rebuke the enemy. Everybody say hallelujah. You get to rebuke the enemy for having you think that these are the cycles that you have to stay stuck in. And lastly, everybody say lastly. Lastly. You replace it with truth. Thank you for feeding back. Oh my gosh, I love y'all. Okay, you replace it with truth. But here's the thing that I want to just put into perspective. Because you're like, replace it with what truth? The Bible. The Word of God. If there's one example that Jesus taught me, and I say this all the time because I'm literally like so shook by it. When Jesus himself was tempted with sin or to do something that his father had called him to do. And this is like when Jesus was tempted by Satan when he was out in the wilderness. Um, how many of you guys know that when you're in the wilderness season, that's when the enemy wants to tempt you? So in the 40 days that Jesus is literally in the wilderness, Satan comes to him, he's like, yo, bro, bet you won't put that rock into bread. And Jesus is like, ah, like, I'm the son of God. And he's like, exactly why I'm telling you, like, turn that into bread. And the crazy thing that I got from that is that Jesus didn't necessarily say, She's right. I feel so hungry right now. I haven't eaten in like 40 days. Like, this man is driving me crazy right now. Maybe I should. I could probably, like, I mean, I got some oil in my pocket. I could easily make myself some toast right now. Jesus didn't say, I feel. He turned to Satan and said, It is 
from me, Satan. Flee from me, Satan. But he replaced it with truth. He said, it is written. You need to turn your I feel, because believe me, we're girls and we got emotions, okay? You got to take your I feel to it is written. I feel this, but what does my God say over me? See, I could have thrown the little pity party of my mom and my dad were in there. And believe me, I'm not going to mock that because I know that hurts. And there's times that literally to this day, like even the Lord like redeeming so much, I'm like, Dang, I wonder what that is to have a mom and a dad around for that. I'm not discrediting that. But I'm saying that I could have said I feel broken. But Psalm 2710 says that even though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will receive me. I'm not saying that we don't have the pity parties. But what do you do with the pity parties? You win nothing out of it. So we're going to get to action. I want you to stand to your feet. And we're going to go through these four R's, and there are things that we were praying and interceding for you guys as a team. And something that the Lord highlighted, one of the first things that he highlighted, and I'm going to break it down because we don't want you guys to, like, like make angry to read 